0: What is up everybody, welcome to the Schlepp. We are continuing through our 20 questions conversation, 20 centuries of the church history. The major question from each of the centuries and here we are, it's the fifth century. And the question that seems to be apparent in that century is how many natures does Christ have? So we're still kind of wading in the waters of orthodox theology, of councils, of some of the towering individuals from early church history. So let's try to get to the bottom of that question here on the Schlepp. Alright, alright, alright. Here we are in the 5th century and we're grappling with a question that the church struggled with, which is how many natures does Christ have? Um, this century had a couple of ecumenical councils that were important and this century seems to be dealing with the eastern part of the church. And so we're going to meet some individuals and uh, talk about some councils here uh, for the next few minutes as we get through the fifth century. So, basically it's this. In the year 428, Nestorius was appointed a patriarch of Constantinople, which is the chief position, which is the center of the East Roman Empire, what we call the Byzantine Empire, and he vowed in his uh, appointment of patriarch to purge heretics from the empire. So he had this uh, angst about false teaching and he was motivated to rid the church of all the heretics because heretics were causing disorder and disruption and disunity in the midst of the empire. So he particularly pointed his efforts towards churches that incited schism within the church. But as he did so, um, he began to uh, perpetuate a teaching that caused quite the stir which instigated some ecumenical councils. So here's what he believed. He believed that certain Christian communities raised the pedestal of Mary too high. So instead of calling her the bearer of God, which some of the church uh, called her, Nestorius preferred to refer to Mary as the bearer of Christ, suggesting that Jesus' divinity was brought forth by the Father, And his humanity by the Virgin Mary. So this is where the initial uh, talking about the two natures of Christ uh, began to take shape. So the divinity, Jesus and his divine nature was by the Father in heaven. And his earthly humanity nature was brought forth by the Virgin Mary. Um, His style and his assertiveness and his leadership drew ire from many. And all over the empire, church leaders began to comb through his sermons... For even the slightest suggestion of error, so imagine uh, whenever his sermon was preached and it was uh, beginning to be communicated about throughout the empire, imagine like he was like the roast uh, the Sunday roast every single Sunday after every single sermon, so he was brought under some tremendous scrutiny um, and so as uh, they began to comb through his sermons uh, they began to have some different camps within Eastern Church and ultimately led to a couple of. Um, strategic ecumenical councils to continue to grapple with this question. So, the question of Jesus' two natures includes one assessment of Mary. These two are linked. So, the doctrine of Mary and the doctrine of the natures of Christ are linked together. So, even though the 4th century's ecumenical councils that we talked about last episode brought great clarity to Trinitarian theology, the question of how to refer to Jesus' two natures didn't seem to be settled until the end of the 5th century. The big question was, how are the two different natures of Jesus united? So, the Council of Ephesus in four thirty one and the Council of Chalcedon in four fifty one sought to clarify these two main questions or this this one main question of the two uh, natures of Christ so here's a side note we've got to talk about Eastern Orthodoxy in order for us to talk about these two councils. Um, we might think that Eastern Orthodoxy is what we would say monolithic or they had a uniform thought, but there are some different nuances to this great big idea of Eastern Christianity. So you have three different strands. The first strand is Eastern Orthodoxy. We could also call it Byzantine, Nicene, or Chalcedonian. Um, or Chalcedonian. Uh, they they would basically say this: that there are two natures of Christ. They're joined in what we call a hypostatic union, which is a uh, a major Greek word and uh, theology studies, hypostatic union. And so the two natures of Christ, when they're merged together, uh, or, or when they're brought together, there's no change to their natures, there's no fusion, nor is there a separation. So the catch-all term there is a hypostatic union. So that's the Eastern Orthodox. The Church of the East, which is different, uh, is Assyrian or a Nestorian or Persian, they would say this, that there are two natures of Christ, that, that Christ's divinity comes from the Father, Christ's humanity comes from Mary, They are united without being mixed. Still a third brand of Eastern Christianity is Oriental Orthodox, which is Jacobite or Western Syrian. They said that Christ had one nature and it was united after the Incarnation. So these might be subtle and maybe this really quick overview, but these were three different tributaries of Eastern Christian thought that were coming to a head when the councils gathered together. So let's talk about the Council of Ephesus. Um, 250 bishops attended from the three different groups uh, um, discussed above uh, or earlier in this podcast. Uh, Nestorius' ideas were not received well. Many bishops would not open their churches to him or to his supporters. So when these bishops got together, Nestorius thought he had this wide influence and that his thought was prevalent, but it was actually a minority report and not a majority report. And especially there's a church leader named Cyril who provoked the early start to the council. He and his bishops who were against Nestorius were there early. And so he thought, we're already all here. Let's go and get started this meeting. Um, so Nestorius and his um, and his uh, supporters didn't arrive in time. So this, this council was already roistering on. It was already in its fever pitch before this other perspective got there. Nestorius didn't even attend the council, fearing for his life because of how heavy of a conversation this was. So the sentiment against Nestorius was so bad that he was labeled the new Judas among those who attended the council of Ephesus. So in response, Nestorius gathered his own council outside of the Council of Ephesus, and he condemned Cyril. So you've got one council that's condemning Nestorius. You've got another council that's uh, condemning Cyril. I mean, this is a lot like the Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention um, before we get to uh, general election season. It was a fiasco. Such a big deal that the Byzantine emperor at the time arrested both Cyril and Nestorius and ordered uh, them to um, calm down and cool the tension between the two. But the argument embodied a larger issue, that there was a tension between the theological centers of Alexandria and Antioch in the Eastern Church. We almost get the sense that there are two different Christianities in Eastern Christianity. One that was housed in Alexandria and one that was housed in Antioch, and it boiled over when leaders from those two constituencies got together to try to argue their theology. And so at the end of the Council of Ephesus, we have still a disagreement about the two natures of Christ. So a couple of decades later, the Council of Chalcedon gets together in 451, which ultimately led to the condemnation of the Oriental Orthodox Church branch of Eastern Orthodoxy there was a leader named eutychus who began to teach that christ only had one nature after the incarnation so uh, the council of chalcedon was gathered together to try to give a perspective and ultimately a conclusion on this peculiar doctrine um, that was expressed in eastern churches so uh, thinking that they could use the chalcedonian council to win their perspective Um, Christ's divinity over his humanity they were surprised to see the opposite happen and so this was the beginning of the end for the oriental orthodox church and the teaching from Eutychus uh, the leader within There was a document called the Tome of Leo that tried to hold the middle ground between the views of Alexandria and Antioch. And this was the conclusion of the two natures of Christ in the Chalcedonian document. It says, Christ is recognized in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved in coming together to form one person. So that is the ultimate conclusion of the Council of Chalcedon, which held the center of orthodoxy, which is still the confession of both Eastern and Western churches, but it alienated the oriental orthodox church and they began to be um, observed as those outside of orthodoxy. So what can we say in conclusion to all this? This is a lot of different names, a couple of different councils, some meticulous picking apart of theology. It may not be interesting to some of us. And so ultimately, what can we say? That this chaotic time period reveals something important. That no matter how hard the church tries to keep people together, fractures still happen. Both Nestorius and Cyril used the same words that hypostatic union, but they convey different meanings through their constituencies. So even we try to agree on similar terms, people from different groupings can actually have different conclusions, even from the same terms. That these ecumenical councils that sought to unite the church further divided it. Western branches of the church and Eastern Orthodoxy churches followed the council's conclusions Throughout Asia, however, a different path was paved. And so we can just say this, that even early on in Christian history, there were some wild disputes about finer points of doctrine and about essentials in doctrine, that even when same terms are used, different conclusions are gathered. And so ultimately what this can teach us is that from early on, there seemed to be the emergence of not just one Christianity, but several Christianities. But leaders were trying to hold the center in unity and there are also leaders within the church that were pushing towards division. We have the same struggle and same opportunity today. And so, what I would suggest is that we continue to think of the whole view of the family of God, the whole view of the church history, and to be honest, that it is hard to get along. But with Christ's help, we could try to hold a center or a unity in order to hold fellowship with one another. And we can also confront those who are walking and teaching outside of orthodoxy that the church has established. Well, that's all for this time. Hopefully, I didn't put you to sleep. Or maybe if you needed um, help sleeping tonight, that you use this podcast and it got you there. Either way, um, let's stay tuned because we'll uh, go to the next podcast. We'll go to the 6th century. And we're going to grapple with the question, what does it mean to be holy? So stay tuned for next time.